Yeah, can we uh, just give one last round of applause for all the volunteers, those that helped, and just thank you for coming and hanging out with us in the service, kiddos. You guys are going to go back downstairs if you watch what your leaders are telling you. Uh, but man, it was an amazing uh, week together, and I will say, uh, you can't light anybody on fire as much as it looked like back here. And uh, from the video, uh, again, we just wanted you to show a little bit about the kids and how they had an experience this last week. Uh, we thought about bringing the confetti cannons in for this morning, but we thought it might be a little bit too much. Uh, but we're glad uh, that y'all are here today to be able to celebrate with us, celebrate with them. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I love everything about Flip Camp this last week because A, it's instilling in children that you can have fun and be a part of the kingdom of God. At the same time, in, in just learning scripture, memorizing scripture, spending time under the teaching of God's word. I had so many conversations with people that aren't even connected to our church that were here, a part of the week, and just had an amazing experience. We're praying that God brings much fruit from that over the last week. Uh, just an amazing time uh, together. We're gonna today, if you wanna turn quickly with me, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 26 today. Genesis 26, but before we get there, uh, I just want to speak to uh, the decision this last week of the Supreme Court of turning over uh, Roe versus Wade. And uh, I just wanted to, you can celebrate that, absolutely. Um, but I just wanna, I'll read, uh, if you don't, on our social media also, that, that video was just our day four recap. All the other days recaps are on our social media if you wanna go there. But they posted, our church leadership posted a response and I would like to read it for y'all. And then just have a couple of comments and then to pray to that end before we open up God's word. And as I read it, if you would listen, this is what it says from leadership of our church. It says this, in the wake of this divisive moment, my encouragement to our church family is to frame your response around the question, how can we leverage this moment like every other for the gospel? In doing so, we're reminded of our calling to model for a watching world, the love of Christ that ultimately leads men and women to salvation. To do so requires us to rise up, or excuse me, rise above the temptation to see this issue primarily as a political one. Instead, as biblically informed believers, we understand it is an issue that matters to the heart of God. The God who made all people in his image, regardless of age or gender, ethnicity, economic status, or any other variable. As such, we recognize that while our culture presents us with this false dichotomy, that we can either support women or children, the gospel compels us to a different conviction a conviction to demonstrate the love of our Father to both women and children, wherein which we are committed to supporting mothers and women broadly while concurrently affirming the value of children at every stage of life. In the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling to make abortion a state's rights issue, then we as believers has two great opportunities. One, to deeply affirm our love and respect for women we must continue to do all we can to champion and support the agencies and accomplishments of women. Two, to demonstrate the love and care for our nation's most vulnerable, those who are at risk, economically uh, disadvantaged and marginalized, including the unborn, as well as the post-abortive mothers, whereby we fulfill the commandment of scripture to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Encouraged in this, may we walk in response to this in every moment, as God's word instructs us, his people to do so, to put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And while we celebrate uh, the news that, yes, uh, this is an amazing thing, my heart and my challenge for each one of us is that as we, as followers of Jesus, support the, the, uh, the life of all humans, unborn, born, this is our time not just to, as Jesus says, pray that thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't just compel us to pray that those things are happening as they are before our eyes, but to help bring them about. And so now is our time as believers in Jesus to step up and what is it we're doing now to support people as they have children? What does it look like for us to get involved in pregnancy centers? What does it look like for us to maybe step into foster care and adoption? What does it look like for us to, to step in financially and help? Because we as followers of Jesus, this is our time to shine and show the gospel. Amen? And I want to pray for us to that end, and then we will uh, dive into God's word together. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the time we have together. God, we thank you so much for your providence and goodness in everyday life. God, we're reminded this week that you are ultimately in control of all things, and you are still working out your purposes each day. But God, we acknowledge and are reminded that we are your hands and we are your feet. We're not just your mouthpieces, we're your hands and your feet. And God, in this moment, I ask that you would help us as followers of Jesus, not just to celebrate, but not only just to pray, but to act, to move, to be your hands, to be your feet, to step in while we're called to step in and be your people and be all that you've called us to be. So would you do it, God? Would you compel us? Would you love us? Would you woo us in that way? And even now, as we open up your word, God, would you help us to deal with our family dysfunction in an honorable and good and gracious way? We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Again, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 26 today. I just want to ask a question before we open up God's word. How many of you here have seen uh, the movie Encanto? Anybody? Okay, about four of you. This will go over really well. Um, well, it's funny, not too long ago, my kids saw the movie, a Disney movie, Encanto, and they kept singing this song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Have you heard that? It's pretty funny. It's actually, uh, the song was so popular and caught so much uh, fame that it actually rose to the number one song in America at one point. It's the only song, or the first song since It's a Whole New World. Anybody remember that one? It's the first song since then to hit number one. It's pretty unbelievable. And it explores not just the song, but really the movie around family tiptoeing around this individual, this guy, Bruno, uh, about broken relationships between Bruno and the rest of the family. And they're kind of tiptoeing around. And it's a song really about dysfunction at the end of the day. Dysfunction within their family. Yet, at the same time, it's fascinating. Bruno in general um, is, is, is struck a chord within our culture. The film and this song, as you've seen it, just be, rise to popularity. Sure, it's catchy, but there's something about it that has caught the culture's ear. 
And you ever think about what that might be? I think that it might be because we can all relate to the song. So many people can relate in some form of their family experience a level of dysfunction that maybe they're experiencing within the song and within the movie. Some people really high levels of dysfunction and maybe other people's lower levels of dysfunction. But I promise you, if you're here today or you're walking on, watching online, you have dysfunction in your family. We can all just celebrate that and know that today that all of what I'm gonna talk about today applies to everybody in this room in some level. For us, it might not be, we don't talk about Bruno, you might put in there, we don't talk about dad's alcohol problem. Uh, we don't talk about family stuff outside of our home, our dysfunction. For you, it might be, man, we don't talk about how mom and dad really don't have a relationship and I haven't even seen my mom and dad hug in years. We, we don't talk about X, whatever it is for your family, it might be for you in the dysfunction within your family because we're gonna see as often we like to keep them closed behind closed doors without the rest of the world being able to see and experience the dysfunction that's within our family. It might come up even, what was your drive like to, to church today? There's probably a little bit of dysfunction in people's in families just driving here today. And what I love about work that we're going to look at today helps us to navigate because oftentimes the Christian family feels as though, or maybe they feel they're left trying to figure out what does it look like for me to deal with dysfunction in my family. And I'll tell you, as I've learned for almost a year now of counseling and myself, the dysfunction that you experience within your family oftentimes can hinder or, or change the way that you view God and the family of God and how you interact with God every day. So it's super profound and important as we look at it today. But what I love is when you look at the book of Genesis, the, the, the family dysfunction is not hidden. It's not behind closed doors. It's standard practice and it's for all to see. I mean, we've seen it already with an Adam and Eve and with, with, with Jacob and Rebecca and all of these different people. We're gonna see it again uh, even today as we look at uh, our, our next uh, people within Genesis in Genesis chapter 26. And what the scriptures is going to scream for us to see and experience today is this, that God's grace, this is the good news. No matter what we look at, no matter what you feel in today, you're like, oh man, sweet mercy. Jim's talking to me. We have some real dysfunction in our family right now. Can I tell you right now, I want you to see in the text of scripture this morning that God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. That God's grace prevails over your family dysfunction today, no matter where you sit or what you're experiencing today. And so there's a bunch of texts of scripture today. So we're gonna bounce around a little bit telling you a little bit of the story as well as reading the scripture today as we go through a large portion of scripture and the telling of the story. And today we're gonna to be looking at individuals like, like Jacob and Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and seeing the dysfunction in their family and how God's grace shines a light through their dysfunction and God meets them where they are. And so uh, I want us to look real quickly today as we look at their, their experience. We're going to jump to Genesis chapter 27 just for a moment, actually. And, and what I want you to see first is that disobedience leads to family dysfunction. We're going to see that the disobedience to the scriptures, to what God has for us, leads to family dysfunction. So today in our story, you have Isaac, you have his wife, Rebecca, 
And then you have their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac is the son with which the lineage is going to come through from Abraham to bless the world and make his great name and make a blessing across the whole world. It's coming through Isaac. But I want you to see from the very beginning a little bit of their dysfunction. Look with me in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 1. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son... And he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. And so at first glance, this doesn't seem like much. Like you're like, man, there's not much here. There's not a much of a root of dysfunction. But when you get into it, you have to see and keep in mind that God had made a specific oracle over uh, Jacob and Esau. God had declared something very specific. And in a moment, it shows the disobedience actually of Isaac. So if you uh, read with me, it'll be on the screen. I know I'm jumping all over the place. Genesis 25 and verse 21, this is what God spoke. He said, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. This is a problem when God says that he's going to bless them through their lineage. So he's praying. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she says, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Then two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Now listen to this. The older shall serve the younger. So this is what God declares, that the older will will serve the younger. God said that the younger is going to be the one. Isaac is going to be the one that's going to rule over the older one, Esau. However... Uh, Jacob, excuse me, Isaac decides in his, own, in his own time, when it comes time for him to bless his son, when he's of old age, does he call Jacob or does he call Esau? He calls Esau. So in a moment, he's in contradiction with what God has spoken that he knows, and he's in disobedience. He just wants to do it his own, in his own way. And here in this moment, it, it's the first signs of dysfunction, and it all leads back to one thing, disobedience. In a moment, it's really disobedience and it brings about deception in a moment. So uh, you probably know the story well. Rebecca responds to Isaac, uh, responds to Isaac's decision by, by plotting a plan for Jacob, right? You know the story at the end of the day, she says, hey, I, I'll tell you what to do. I want you to go and t- kill two goats. The first one we're gonna make a really good, like your, your, your father loves and longs for, and that's what he asked Esau to go and do, is, is to make savory meat for him and bring it back just the way he likes it. And Rebecca knows exactly how to cook it. She knows exactly what to do. And she says, hey, well, he's gone. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go, Jacob, and kill two goats. And the second one, his brother Esau was really hairy, So she said, we're going to put goat skin on you. And so when your father touches you, it will seem as though you are Esau. Can I just say, man, at the end of the day, if you are that hairy, that goat skin represents you, pray for my brother Esau. That is a struggle. First wolf man right there in scripture. Always, I've always laughed at that text. I'm like, wow. I've seen some brothers with some hair, but this guy, man, 
And so they're in direct defiance now, even them in disobedience to their father. And Isaac, blinded by his own disobedience, continues to bless Jacob, thinking it's Esau. And it begins to bring distress within the family. Esau returns, and obviously the deception is uncovered, and he is really upset. Scripture says that he's exceedingly great. It was exceedingly great and in a bitter cry. I mean, this is a big deal to receive the blessing of your father in their time. And Jacob, in essence, stole it from his brother. And it's agony upon Esau, so much so that he wants to kill him. That he's going to kill his brother. And so Rebekah, again, conniving, finds Jacob and sends him to go live with her brother Laban. And throughout this entire narrative, we see the distress of disobedience on the family. And the narrative, what I love is it focuses on this repercussion of Isaac's disobedience and the fallout that happens when we're disobedient to the word of God. You see, from the very beginning, it's just disobedience, then more disobedience, then more disobedience, and it's just wreaking havoc within the family. One scholar writes this, that the family is not working together, but conspiring against one another because the patriarch, Isaac, offers no spiritual leadership. And at the core, this dysfunction, dysfunction in this family is a result of disobedience. And at the root, that's what you find within the family is there's this level of disobedience that's reoccurring within their family. Over the last year, I've done a bunch of uh, just amazing things for soul care. One of the things that uh, Sarah and I did together, we're in a family uh, talking about emotional health, emotionally healthy relationships by Pete Scazzaro. Amazing. If you've never read his books, it's quite profound and amazing. And so within the course that we did, we had to do what was called a genogram. You ever heard of one of those? Where you map out your family. You go back generations. You start writing down grandpa and grandma, dad, mom, any families. And then you start mapping out things about your family. Not negative things, but like, what were they, what was their main thing? Like, how did they act? How did they react? What was maybe the thing they struggled with? And then you go down to your mom and dad or your aunts and uncles or whatever. And then you come to yourself and you're like, man, what's my main struggle? And it's unbelievably profound and humbling to watch within your family lineage how the same reproducing actions come up over and over and over again. You might have heard it in the past maybe as generational sin. And what, what we try to get at in this exercise is to find out not only just to look back and be like, I don't know how grandpa could act like that. But it's more to look and say, man, how am I now still three generations or two generations still acting like that? And what does it look like for me to apply the gospel to my own heart, my own life, and cut off a generational sin that's been going through my family and stop here today in walking in obedience to the gospel? It's pretty amazing and fun and highly scary when you do it, but I would recommend it if you haven't done it before. It's so easy, it's, it, it's so easy to look back and be like, man, I can't believe this, I can't believe that, all the while not looking at ourselves and seeing how maybe we ourselves are falling into the same repetition, the same pattern because of disobedience to the word of God. And man, today, if you're here under the sound of my voice, if you're joining us online, you have dysfunction within your families, and if it is not taken care of, it will reproduce itself in the next generation in their dysfunction in their family. 
But the good news is the grace of God, that God gives us his word to apply to our hearts that we might not walk in disobedience to him. So you can look back over the course of our, of our, of our series in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they decided to live a different way in disobedience to the word of God. You go back to Cain and Abel, they decided to live in disobedience. You can go back over and over again in each story and see how all of this dysfunction is coming about because of a lack of obedience to the word of God. Oh, the generation that we are today and the lack of obedience we have to the word of God. If we would but in our own strength, coupled with the spirit of God, enabling us to do it and the application of the gospel to our own hearts, if we would be people in this generation to start taking the word of God at the way that it is to be, to be obeyed, we might see less dysfunction within our families and more flourishing and joy and goodness and generations rising up after us that love and follow the Lord. Maybe not be people now, you're like, man, Jim, I knew it. I am just like my dad or I'm just like my uncle or whatever it is. Don't pass the buck to a future or a past generation. Today, maybe look at the ways in your life and in your family, maybe you're not applying the word of God to your heart. Husbands, we talked about this last week. Husbands, do you love your wife the way that Ephesians 5 calls you to? Are you waking up every day and saying like, how do I lay down my life for my wife? Uh, hey, are we, these young people right here, just had an amazing week of camp. Are we in, engaging in their spirits and their hearts and their lives? Amen. What did you learn this week? Man, what, what stuck out to you? How can, I, how can I fan the flame to that? Because I'm the greatest spiritual leader, not Josh. And the list could go on and on, but within your family, are you obeying the word of God and the way that God calls you to lead and love and live? Because if not, I promise you there's some level of dysfunction there that God wants to speak grace to. And that's the beautiful thing is you could end there and we could leave here depressed and be like, man, Jim, that's awesome. We're all dysfunctional. Have a great day. What we see next is God's grace shines through family dysfunction. God's grace shines through it. In response to the fallen from the family dysfunction, Rebecca and Isaac agree to send Jacob to their family to find a wife, but in the midst of that, something important happens, something profound. I, Isaac gives this blessing to Jacob, and it's pretty important, the word. So Genesis 28 now in verse three, this is what it said. God Almighty, this is, this is uh, Isaac blessing Jacob again. God Almighty bless you and make you faithful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourners that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And you're like, man, that seems insignificant. But what's significant about this blessing is he's repeating the language of God's original command to Adam and Eve of being fruitful and multiply and the language of God's covenant with Abraham. He is placing on him that he would go forward with that and obtain the land that God gave them. So the author of Genesis is doing something profound here. He wants to draw the attention now of the reader. You and I here today, he wants to draw our attention to that even amid all of the family dysfunction, God's plan and purposes still prevail. 
God's grace is still there. God's covenant promises will continue through the younger son as he already declared. It's still gonna go forward, even in their disobedience, even in their uh, lack of understanding, their lack of obedience, God is still working. His word is true. This is an utter act of grace by God on their behalf and on our behalf as well. Even in their dysfunction, God is still moving and working. And yet, in all their disobedience and all of the, the dysfunction that they're experiencing, all of that, God displays his grace by continuing his plans and purposes despite this fallen and broken and dysfunctional family. I love that. I want you to realize today, for us to realize today that the reason the author brings their dysfunction to the forefront is only to highlight the goodness and the graciousness of God and his blessing. In all the dysfunction in your family, whether little or big, however you see it, can I just declare for you today, it's not too much that the grace of God cannot work in it. It's not too much that the grace of God cannot redeem it or, or bring blessing or bring healing in all of it. One Commentator writes this, he says, by setting this new step forward in the history of salvation, in the context of, of such unprincipled behavior by every member of the family, each self-centeredly seeking his or her own interests, the narrator is now simply pointing out the fallibility of God's chosen, whose virtues often turn into vices, but reinserting the grace of God. It is the mercy that is ultimate ground for salvation. That at the end of the day, God's plans and purposes are still going forward with this family, even in the midst of their dysfunction, that God, through dysfunction, can actually bring about the grace of God. To hear God's blessing, to continue amid such family dysfunction is to spot the grace of God in this story. God wants us in his providence, in the writing of this text, to see that, like I've shared before, don't you think that God could just be like, God's good enough, he's God? He could have just been like, all right, I, I thought it was gonna work out with Abraham's family. These people are so dysfunctional. Uh, flood the earth, we're starting over again. Right? Like God could have totally been like, man, I, I don't know about you. Like, like my, my own family, when I'm with my kids and I'm like, ah, like, I want to do something fun with you. And all we're doing is bickering and yelling at each other and, and calling each other names and hitting each other or whatever it might be, right? I know that my, own, my kids are the only ones who do that. So I got to imagine God's the same way oftentimes. He's, he's like, man, Jacob and Esau, like ugh, Isaac and Abraham, like Adam and Eve, you had one job, just leave that tree alone. And he's like, ah, but he's not. Oh, God's so good. He's just grace, 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 grace. That God's grace shines through family dysfunction. There's a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey as he recounts growing up in a church that tended towards perfectionism. Anyone else been there? leading many to be tempted to misinterpret themselves spiritually. Yancey writes this in the book. He says, on Sundays, well, 
On Sundays, well-scrubbed families emerged from their cars and smiles on their faces, even though, as we later found out, they had been fighting abusively all week long. However, Yancey would later discover the reality of God's grace. He realized that it was through being honest and real about our faults and dysfunction that God's grace was seen. So he continues and says, as a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings, dressed up for God and the Christians around me. It never occurred to me that the church was a place to be honest. Now, though, as I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realize that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets, light only gets in through the cracks. That's what he says. I think it's so profound when he says that I realize that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. And each one of you sitting here today or watching online has imperfection and dysfunction within your family. And the prerequisite of experiencing the grace of God in your family is acknowledging and bringing to light the dysfunction and the brokenness that God might be able to, in his grace, meet you in those places. And I'll tell you, I grew up in a culture where, man, you, you came to church and you were well put together and you didn't speak of your brokenness. That's why I do my best every Sunday as much as I can to tell you all how broken I am so that you can feel at home and knowing that you're broken too. And we're all in this together trying to work by the grace of God to become more like Jesus. Because there ain't nobody in this place, including me, maybe Alex, um, that has it all together. Nobody. And so I just ask you today, do you have a, a struggle with the cracks in your life or your family? Do you struggle to reveal the cracks in, in your family? Because we tend to hide them or, or when we don't talk about that with anyone else. Mom and dad scream and yell in the house. We don't talk about that outside the house. We tend to hide our dysfunction, but it's in the brokenness, in the cracks is where God's light can shine in and God's word can come to life. It's in these places oftentimes that the grace of God wants to meet us and be there with us. God doesn't just work despite our family dysfunction. Can I tell you, God works through it. God's not just over here working. God's working here and my dysfunction's here. Something I've learned very graciously from God is that God's not working in parallel with my brokenness, like my brokenness over here. And he's like, eh, I can get around it. You're pretty messed up, Jim, but I'll get around it and I'll still work because I'm working all things out according to my plan. No, God is one who is working. This is where my defunct dysfunction is. This is where my brokenness is. This is where my failure is. And this is where God is working. God is working through it. He's not absent from it, he's in it. And he wants to work through you. And he wants to work through your brokenness and your dysfunction within your family. Not to act and acknowledge that it's not there, but to very openly say, man, this is where it's at. And that's when we acknowledge it and bring it to the light is when God often or always can work to resolve it, to use it for his kingdom. This is where God works. And I so long for us to be a church that doesn't get out of our vehicles on Sunday morning and walk in and act like we have it all together. And we're walking through the lower lobby and like, man, how are you, brother? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm standing up. I'm, I've got more than I should. I'm warm and I'm well-fed. 
Rather be like, man, I had a horrible week. Did you just pray with me? My wife and I were just bickering in the car on the way to church for all of places. Or in our small groups, our life groups, we would just be real that like, man, we're just in a season of trouble. We're struggling. Rather than coming and leaving all the while, never bringing to light the brokenness that we live in day to day. Can I just tell you for a moment, when your kids see brokenness in your home and your family, and it's never spoken of outside of your home and your family, and everyone else thinks you are golden and great, but your kids know otherwise, you are showing your kids something, whether you want to know it or not. You're showing your children that I'm living two different lives. I'm not real and authentic. I'm not showing. I'm not saying you come out here and tell everybody your, your, your deepest secrets. I'm just saying living with authenticity and bringing things to light that God may be able to work through them, speaking openly. Just saying, hey, yeah, mom and dad are in, in a troubled period. Let's pray together as a family. Let's be real. Because God's grace overcomes our dysfunction and works through our dysfunction. What does it look like for you to take small steps towards honesty with your family dysfunction today? To begin to invite in the grace of God in the midst of it. Maybe you've been trying to deal with it all on your own for so long, but God wants to work through it. He wants to walk with you. Lastly, God's grace can reconcile family dysfunction. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That God's grace can reconcile your dysfunction. Well, Jacob leaves his family and goes back to live with his uncle Laban. He's there for about 15 years or so, roughly. And God calls him to return to his homeland, the whole story, right? He gets two wives for the price of one. You know the family story. He gets tricked. And as he comes back, he's encountering his brother Esau. And Jacob's really afraid, as he should be, uh, because of what previously happened. And, and he cautiously arranges a family gathering that he would be protected from Esau's revenge. But it's fascinating. When, they, when, they, when he finally meets together, he finds an unexpected surprise. Genesis 33 in verse 4 says this, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Such a profound and beautiful story. Instead of experience hostility, Jacob experiences humility and harmony with his brother. There's, ex there's reconciliation happening to estranged, estranged brothers that have not seen each other for 15 years. And Esau, in this moment, extends forgiveness and grace and embraces his brother in a beautiful and unbelievable way. Jacob introduces his family and his servants to Esau and he gives Esau a gift and, and Esau doesn't want to take it. He's refusing it, but Jacob insists. And when he does this statement, he, he shares something. He gives this beautiful picture of God's grace bringing reconciliation and restitution, restoration. In Genesis thirty-three ten, this is what it says. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Hint, hint, story of Jacob, the guy that actually wrestled with God. 
and you have accepted me, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough, thus he urged him and he took it. Jacob uses the word blessing, which I think is profound in his gift giving, connecting back to the blessing that he received earlier from Isaac. And at this moment, it's pretty amazing because Jacob actually acknowledges the wrong that he's done, that of, of robbing him of his blessing. He actually acknowledges that, which is amazing. And then he offers reparation to Esau and he gives him a blessing and Esau accepts it, which seals the restoration. It's pretty amazing and profound to see. One Old Testament scholar says this, there is a significant emphasis on the idea of grace in this section. We see the grace of God and the blessing of both brothers. Grace is extended and it's received. The blessing offered is because of God is gracious dealing with Jacob. And the overarching message through the beautiful moment of reconciliation is that God's grace worked to make all of it possible. Despite years of family dysfunction, these brothers experience a moment of reconciliation and restoration because God's graciously intervened and provided them with what is necessary for their reconciliation. That again, in all of it, God actually, his grace can reconcile your family dysfunction. At the end of the day, Jacob and Esau really didn't do anything in the moment, but because of God's grace in their family and in them, God brought them to a place of restoration and reconciliation. And what's beautiful is, man, you think just in general about the gospel, we have that same thing. We're reminded here of God's gracious intervening in our lives when he provided the necessary components of reconciliation, right? We were lost and undone like Esau and Jacob. There is this divide in our relationship with God, but God graciously, without anything that we did, sent his son, not only made means for us to be reconciled to God through Jesus and what he did on the cross, but also he gave us the means by which we can be reconciled to one another through the gospel, through the example of Jesus. Out of the abundance of the grace of God, he gave his son. And the starting point of experiencing reconciliation and dysfunction, the starting point for families is first by experiencing reconciliation with God. And that comes by placing our faith and trust in Jesus. So men, if you're here today and you've been coming to church for a while or you've been coming to church your whole life, I don't care how long it is. I don't care what you've done for God if you've never placed your full trust in nothing else but the cross of Jesus Christ and that he rose from the grave, today, that is your response. We can't experience reconciliation one to another fully without first experiencing reconciliation with God himself. And he gave us that through Jesus Christ. And today, if you're watching online, if you've never experienced reconciliation to God through the gospel and what Christ has done on the cross, that is your response today. But it's, the God, but it's God's grace that's working to reconcile us to him and reconcile us to one another. And you might be sitting here being like, man, that's great, Jim. Love what you're saying, but you don't know the dysfunction in my family. You don't know what my relationship is like with my dad. You don't know what my dysfunction is with my kids. No, I don't, friend, but God does. 
And, and I promise you, it can't be worse than the dysfunction that was between you and God before Christ came. And the gospel can reconcile that. And the gospel can reconcile the dysfunction in your family. As it gives us a way forward to forgive one another, to love one another well. And it might take time, honestly. If you're sitting under the sound of my voice and you come in every Sunday, you get out of the car, you're well put together and it looks like you have the greatest marriage ever and it's in shambles. I'll tell you right now, it might take some time like it did with Jacob Niza to reconcile that, to work through your dysfunction, to process that together. It doesn't mean that you're gonna leave this place. And Jim said like, man, because of the gospel, I can just be like, oh, everything's beautiful and great and perfect. No, it might be years. It might take a lot of work, but through the gospel, through the blood of Christ, God's grace can work through your dysfunction and God's grace can reconcile the dysfunction that is in your family and in your life. And even as we finish today, we're gonna to close by singing a song, I speak Jesus. And maybe today your response might just need to be that I'm going to speak Jesus. I'm gonna allow Jesus to enter in to the brokenness of my family. And there's even a section in the song that says, in my family. And maybe that's the heart of us today is that I promise you, each one of you here today has dysfunction. How you deal with that is through the gospel and speaking Jesus and the gospel into it. I'm not just saying you just speak it, you live it. You ask God into it. You bring the spiritual family into it and allow God to not just work around your dysfunction, but work in it and through it. As we look to the only one who reconciled the world to himself, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thanks for today and your word and the story of the gospel that is even interweaved into the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebecca. And there's brokenness, God. And I just ask that you'd encourage us in this place or those watching online that no matter where they find themselves today, the Bible is riddled with people with dysfunction. And in all of that, God, you, you work and you move and you, and you help and you come alongside all of those people and all of Hebrews 11 as it looks back to the Old Testament is all these people of faith and all of them are riddled with failure and dysfunction and brokenness. And may we not feel today, those watching online or in this room, that we're unusable or our dysfunction is too far or it's too broken. No, God, in all of that, your grace is greater. It's better. So God, if there's someone in this place that needs to speak with myself or Alex for us to step in and help, Maybe they need to just pray and bring it up within their group and have people come around them. Perhaps someone online has never stepped foot in the church before and they need to come to the church maybe next week and, and join us and man, speak life into those broken places. And all of it, God, we ask for your goodness and your grace to overcome our dysfunction for your kingdom and your glory.